as a family um, here at Iowa Regular Baptist Camp, and uh, I think the last time Lori and I were at family camp together was 1995 when I was on the Contenders. Contenders are going on their uh, next year will be the 25th year for the Contenders. Bob Fields' harebrained idea um, that is that is still going. That was also the summer that we got engaged uh, out at uh, the small lake on the camp boat on the Friday evening of uh, senior high camp. Uh, Pastor Fields let me skip chapel, and we got engaged that night. And, um, and so just really good to be able to be with you. And uh, I love our camp, and uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to come to family camp and to be here a part of this. If Phil was right last night, Pastor Phil was right last night, He's been trying to get me to come to a family camp for a while now, and um, it seemed like 16 years of youth ministry, we were always going to junior high camp, senior high camp, missions trip, and it was always hard to kind of fit in another whole week of camp to be able to be up here, but we're excited about being up here with you this week. I have a book that I'm going to be giving away during the sessions here this week called um, uh, Never Fails Marriage by uh, a guy named Brian Sumner. Uh, he's a former professional skateboarder and now uh, has an evangelism ministry that he does through that. Several years ago, he and his wife put together a 30-day devotional um, that Lori and I have, have used. And uh, I've found it to be hugely uh, gospel-related, hugely gospel-centered, uh, and a great, great, great encouragement. They just changed the cover on it, so it's like the most boring cover ever. I, but they just changed the cover on the book. This is how we're going to give this away tonight. If you're the father of your home, go ahead and stand up if you're physically able. My birthday is November 30th. Does anybody have a birthday on November 30th? Anybody have a birthday in November or December? Everybody else can sit down. If you have a birthday in November or December, everybody else can sit down. Anybody uh, from November 15th to the 30th? Remain standing. Anybody December 15th and down? Okay. All right. What are your dates here? Let's see what we got. 29th. Anybody closer than 29th? <laughs> All right. All right. Your name? Lauren. Lauren. Hey, God bless. I hope that's Thank a great, great encouragement to you guys. Yep. Very good. All right. I don't know how you got the camp, but what if Bible characters had uber i got a video for you to check this out here okay all right oh looks like rain huh it looks pretty clear uh, i think i'm pretty sure it's gonna rain though nothing in the forecast um uh, <laughs> i'm just trust me on this one i think it's gonna rain uh, can you take me to home depot real quick i just gotta get some uh supplies though all right where are we going today uh, okay i'm not honestly i'm really not sure this i was fishing and this guy jesus was like hey follow me and it, like for some reason that sounded like a good idea so just like wherever he's going just like follow him Saul? uh no it's paul actually long story dude do you, do you want to put those in the trunk or? yeah i gotta practice bro just go looks like we are headed to nineveh cool listen uh could you mind actually taking me in the opposite direction i don't uh dude you gotta go now this dude potiphar's wife is on me bro go <laughs> there is some candy in the seat pockets help yourself okay i'm on a uh diet i definitely cannot eat candy do you have any like vegetables or like nuts or anything in here hey just first of all for the record do not look in that rear view mirror okay just like don't at all just don't look straight ahead <sighs> where are we headed we gotta go to uh 
Egypt? Is that okay? <laughs> so where are we headed today? We're actually going to the mountains. Actually, I'm gonna put it. Can I add a stop? Yeah. Do you mind if I do that? We just gotta we gotta pick up my son. Oh fun. Yeah. Wait. Jesus? I'm not no, I'm not Jesus though. He's coming behind us though. You can go ahead, it's fine. Sir, there's no smoking in the car. Um, okay. I don't I don't smoke, so <laughs> smells like it. <sighs> GPS is acting up. Do you know the way? Uh yeah, I'm the way. What's up? What? I'm not seeing an address here. Uh you know what? We gotta pick up my two buddies in a sec, but just uh just follow the North Star. Is it can you do that? Yeah. Alright. Where are we headed? Get lit, take me to a distant country. Where are we headed? <sighs> take me back to my dad's house. You need some of this? You know what? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Hold on, is that guy <laughs> dead? Hold on, slow down. Let me see if this guy needs some help. One second, don't leave. What? The GPS wants me to go through the water. Yeah, that's fine. Straight ahead. Yeah, we're good. I'm not going to Michael Scott this thing. It's fine. It'll work out when we get up there. Just trust me. <laughs> While I got you in the car, I have to ask. I've been having this dream, right? Okay, here we go. Like, there's this wheat field. No, okay. can, can you just drive, please? Hey, man. So instead of a tip, maybe you could just help me out a little bit. Oh, okay. It was one time. Why does everyone always ask me that? Sorry. Hey, did you know that we also raised you guys? Uh, okay, it's called a joyful noise. All right, ever heard of it? Okay. And here we are. Look, no pressure, but I do accept tips, okay? Uh... <laughs> All right. <laughs> Got to be careful with Uber. Okay. Um <laughs> In all seriousness, we do have uh, some, some great truths from uh, Joshua that we want to walk through here this week. And um, I, uh, I went back and forth, inside out and upside down, as to where to go for this week here at, at family camp. And, um, and I really believe that uh, with the theme, that we can stick right in the book of Joshua and we can find truth that can transform our lives. And so uh, let's pray and ask God to, to meet us there. And to teach us here this week together. Father, thank you again for uh, the opportunity to be together. We thank you for our camp. Thank you for our churches. And ask as they are meeting together uh, as believers that you would be with them this week. And um, especially here today. Uh, to be encouragement to one another. And Father, I just ask that you would take the power of your word. And transform our lives in light of it. Um, we don't need any more uh, in our lives other than you completely filling us and your complete revelation taking hold of us. So Lord, I pray that you keep us submitted to that um, in such a way that you can transform our lives and help us to, to live this life for you and you alone in a way that honors and pleases you. Uh, bless our time together here this morning. We ask that you'll help us in it. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, again, I am grateful to be here this week. I'm going to be a part of everything that I can. You will see me a little bit on the hobbling side. I'm wearing a boot for my right foot uh, to help with a torn ligament. Um, I, you know, God just gives me um, 
non-noble injuries, if I can say it that way. You don't know how long I've been praying. I mean, being from southwest Iowa and all the cowboys and ranchers and farmers that we have at our church, I, I just pray I, I could get kicked by a cow sometime and, and be able to stand in front of my church and say, I got kicked by a cow. And all the guys look at me and go, oh, we relate. Yeah, okay, yeah, all right. But no, I stepped in a hole. That's all. The other day, I hurt my back putting eye drops in. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It hurt. <laughs> kind of went back. Oh, my, you know. <laughs> I was walking with my wife the other day. I hurt my other ankle. <laughs> I'm like, ow. She's like, you're hobbling. I'm like, we're walking. <laughs> you know? I'm just falling apart, I guess, you know. But I just told my father-in-law and my son, we were out at fishing, uh, fishing at a farm pond, and I was just like, hey, guys, be careful. There's holes all around here. And I stepped right in it, heard it pop, hobbled around for a week, and then my wife finally said, you need to go to the doctor, and the doctor said, four weeks in the boot. So, um, so you know, water skiing is going to be interesting this week. Uh, it's going to be, yeah, very interesting to watch, you know. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll figure it out one way or the other, and we'll be a part of all that we can. We're looking forward to those opportunities here. Go ahead and grab your Bible there and go to Joshua chapter 1 then. Uh, Pastor Dave, we got too many Pastor Daves this week, so you can figure out how to discern between us. Um, and, uh, but we got Pastor Dave Cotner and Pastor Dave Callison, that, Pastor Dave Cotner's son, little Dave, uh, whatever you're going to call me. Um, <laughs> Hey, you're not going to offend me. I was just at the GRBC conference a couple weeks ago, and I saw people I hadn't seen for years, and they came up to me, and they said this, Dave Tevenkamp, you have <laughs> That's exactly how they ended their sentence. I was like, can I finish that for you? Put on weight? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It happens. It's called 30. Okay, so you can call me whatever you want to call me this week. And we're looking forward to what God is going to teach us here from the book of Joshua. Theme text comes from the Joshua chapter 1. And an examination of that text uh, leads us to ask a question. How are we going to interpret Joshua? Are there three kind of uh, methods that are out there that you could approach Joshua with? First one is a, kind of a type theology. Um, and that is that uh, Joshua... I mean, that's the Old Testament name for Jesus. So everything's a type. Everything back there has a symbolic meaning to something now. Um, you know, uh, Israel was God's first go-around for the church. And so if you want to learn about the church, look at Israel. So we're finding all about the church here while we're looking at Israel. And, and it's all type, and it's all kind of figurative, and we just got to figure out what the figurative is there. There's a kind of an approach that's more of a, a cult cultural theology approach. And that is, you know, hey, hey look, look what Joshua went out and he vanquished the enemy, fought the enemy. And, and look, look, look what God did. I mean, God said, you give me Jericho, and bam, I'll give you AI. Let's do it. Yeah, let's go out and get it. You know, you give God Jericho, he will give you AI. Can't get it. How loaded. it? Okay, or, you know, it's just, it's, it's just kind of this cultural theology that, you know, uh, Whatever is in our culture, we're just going to go out and we're going to vanquish it because that's what, you know, Joshua did here. I'm just going to let you know, I'm going to cut right to the chase. I'm going to approach this as best I can from a literal 
historical and what some of us in expository preaching like to call an authorial intent. What, what did the author mean when he wrote the text? Now, here's the amazing thing. We don't need type theology to get a real meaning for our lives. We don't need a cultural theology to get a real meaning for our lives. There is actually truths here that apply to the New Testament Christian and apply to our lives and can be transforming in our lives. I mean, Pastor Dave Callison just pointed it out. Joshua started at first base of fear. <laughs> and you think about why, why was Joshua struggling with this element of fear? I mean, why is the do not be dismayed and the promise of God's presence such a, such a dynamic thing there? Well, you think of what Joshua had been through. Um, he was probably a teenager at the time of the Exodus. So he had, he had seen the ten plagues, and he was one of those, you know, as we picture in our Sunday school lesson, one of those kids running along the side of the Red Sea with running their fingers through the water and, uh, and counting the fish while they're going across the Red Sea or whatever the case may be. But he actually, he actually walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Now, my mom and dad went to William Jewell University in Liberty, Missouri, and the religion professor at William Jewell University was a flaming liberal professor, and, and he said, now you need to understand when the children of Israel came to this area, they did not go through the Red Sea, they went through the Sea of Reeds. It's where the reeds grew, and, and it was only three feet of water, and so they kind of just waded across the water and got to the other side. No miracle here, no miracle here. Somebody raised their hand in class and said, you know that Pharaoh's army drowned in three feet of water? That's pretty much a miracle. And, uh, you know, you just try to explain away the Bible every time you can, and, but Joshua was part of that. And then you think about the miracles that Joshua saw in the, in the wilderness and in that trek from uh, the Red Sea to Kadesh Barnea, pillar of a cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. God's provision began to be seen and and all of these miracles that took place as God was leading his people out, starting with the plagues through the Red Sea and all the way to Kadesh Barnea. And then you even think about how God provided for them in the wilderness. You know, they picked up this bread that was called, what is it? Um, now, Anna's working on the bread at camp along with some of the other kitchen cooks. If you like the bread, make sure you thank the cook. And, uh, and, um, but they were picking up the bread and they were saying, what is it? And, uh, but I like what uh, Pastor Duke Crawford, who I served under for eight years there in Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and he used to compare manna to donuts. And I always like comparing Bible food to food I can relate to. And so if you think of it better as a donut, then so be it, or a donut hole. Um, and God provided for them. God provided water at times when they needed water in miraculous ways. God provided quail. For all you hunters out there, so much quail is coming out their nose. Um, God, God did not leave his people desolate in any way, shape, or form. And Joshua saw that. You think about just the drama at Sinai. Um, about a year and a half ago, I preached through the book of Exodus, and we spent about three weeks there at Sinai. And, I mean, I'm telling you, it was, come near the mountain, don't touch the mountain. And... 
smoke filling the top of the mountain and all of those things. And then when Moses comes down the first time, what's the problem? I mean, the people had already strayed off and were worshiping that golden calf. And, and Joshua was proximate at that time and saw all of that and saw the face of Moses that had seen the glory of God and the veil that they put over him to try to try to cover him up as he was reflecting God's glory. Joshua also um, saw God uh, in, in, in that powerful one decision that was made when they got to Kadesh Barnea. In fact, he was actually one of the 12 spies that was sent into the land, and the 10 were bad and 2 were good. All your Sunday school days coming back there, okay? And, and, and they sent those 12 spies into the land, and you know the report that came back. The report came back. Ten of them were like, we cannot take this land. We can't do it. They're big. We look like grasshoppers. This, 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 we're in the wrong spot at the wrong time. And Joshua and Caleb were like, no, we can take this land. God has given us this land. We have to take this land. And finally, God comes to Moses and says, all right, that's it. Everybody who's 20 years of age and younger will live, but everybody who's 20 years age of old and older, they're going to die in the wilderness except Joshua and Caleb. And there's all kinds of theologians that have gone through just the dynamics of what took place there, and I read one commentary, and he seemed to be a pretty reliable source as he was going through just a little bit of the logistics of what was taking place when they went to that time of Exodus. And you think about how many funeral services that Joshua went to per day and it was about 85 funerals a day, 85 burials that had to take place in the wilderness a day. And Joshua saw that. Every day, people dying because they did not believe that they could take the land. And during that time, that's when Moses, in a sense, falls off the wagon. And while God had commanded him at one time to speak to the rock, and it would provide water, or strike the rock, and it would provide water. The second time, God provided the opportunity for Moses to speak to the rock, and in his anger, he lashed out and struck the rock a second time. And that rock was a type theology, a picture of Christ. And God said, that's it. That's it. You're going to look into this promised land, but you're not going to go into it. And you really find from that time on, Moses is grooming Joshua to take the reins. And God gives the reins over to Joshua. But you think of people in the Bible that saw both the magnitude of God's holiness, but also the depth of man's depravity. Joshua was one of them. I mean, he saw both extremes. And while Pastor Dave Callison didn't go there this morning in Sunday school out of chapter 24, but the reason he's given this speech in chapter 24 it's because everybody in the land of Canaan isn't gone yet. And he's saying to them, you better be careful. You get to Judges chapter 1, and what do you find? You find the children of Israel, two generations later, absolutely bowing down to the Baals. One generation comes along who did not know Joshua, who just had heard about the things that God had done. Next generation gave themselves over to the Baals. And Joshua saw the full dynamic of God's holiness, but also human depravity. 
That leads me to kind of ask a question when I approach Joshua chapter 1, and that is when I think about Joshua, how in the world did he do it? How did he, how did he pick up the mantle from Moses? I mean, how do you go to Charlton Heston and say, hey, I'll take your role, okay, all right? I mean, how do you do that, all right? Those of you who are 40 and above got that joke. Those of you who are 40 and below, it doesn't matter. Move on. <laughs> the point is, is that, I mean, you're, you're coming in the wake of Moses. And maybe God pulls Joshua aside and says to him, look, I want to remind you that it's not on the foundation of a person. It's not on a foundation of of even the amazing things that I will do in front of God's people through you, what the one foundation is, is this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. The one foundation that you need is God's complete revelation to you. Folks, I'm just going to be honest with you. Serving as a pastor and serving as long as I have as, as a youth pastor and being in ministry since 1995 and watching the ebb and flow of ministry is amazing to me how the church of today has gradually but now almost emphatically said, I'm just not sure that this is God's complete revelation to us. It's just, I'm not sure that there's really everything that we need for life and godliness in God's revelation to us. And sometimes we just got to go to other sources and try to find those other sources to, to help us get along. But what Joshua is reminded here very clearly is he's reminded that there is only one foundation, God himself captured in his complete revelation to us. Now, why is God going to refer to it as the law in Joshua chapter 1? Because, folks, that's really all he has. He's got the first five books of the Bible. And, and he maybe has some of those even in rudimentary, rudimentary form. I mean, he, he has that much. It really brings me to ask a question of me, is, is how much do I have, and how much do I tap into what God enables me to have? Now, as we look at this one foundation, if, if I can, I want to I break it into three puzzle pieces for us, or three pie pieces for us, to help us kind of reflect on it. First of all, let's look if we can. First of all, number one, it's in your notes there. I think it's on page seven. I can't remember the page number exactly. Is it seven? Okay, yep, God's number, good. All right. <laughs> page number seven, number one there in your notes it's the certainty of God's promises. The certainty of God's promises. Now, I am just as human as the next person. I have made promises to my wife and to my kids at times, and they've taken it with an element of doubt. <laughs> because they know that things get on the plate and things start to hammer in, and everything that Dad says he'll promise he'll do, sometimes it doesn't come about. But folks, listen to me very carefully. God is communicating to Joshua and reminding Joshua that there is nothing that will take away from his promise. He will always make good on his promise. Always. Chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through the first part of verse number 5. After the death of Moses, everybody sniffed because... Uh, that was a big deal. 
Remember he went on, up on Mount Pisgah? And that one he never came down from. The servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun. That doesn't mean that nobody birthed him. It's N-U-N, not N-O-N-E. Um, bad dad joke, sorry. Okay, move on. <laughs> Moses' assistant, <laughs> just, just the assistant, saying to him, Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua's reply, no duh. Okay, all right. <laughs> Now, therefore, go over this Jordan, you and all this people of this land, into a land that I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place where the sole of your feet will tread upon, I will give to you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness of the Lebanon to the great river, uh, the great river, the river Euphrates, to the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You guys remember this a little bit from the Old Testament. God gave Abraham a promise. That Abrahamic covenant had threefold uh, aspect to it. It had a promise of seed. That's the idea of descendants. That's why Isaac was so important. That's why the whole plan of Ishmael was so awry. And God said that there's going to be seed and there's going to be land specific land that God had marked out territorially and geographically with land markers, rivers and those seas and those kind of things. And God said that land is going to be yours. While many people rejoiced and thought the coming of the Lord was going to come in 1948 after Israel was given this little lot of land um, in 1948, and some of you remember that, and some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but at the end of World War II, Israel was given some land, and they were able to regather to that land. 1968, there was a six-day war, an amazing read about what took place in that six-day war. Absolutely militarily blows your mind how Israel stood against the uh, surrounding nations and was able to gain Jerusalem and some more of that land. And everybody thought, now it's coming, now it's coming. But really what Israel is occupying right now is only a fraction of what God had marked out. And God says to Joshua, I am going to make good on my promise. You went through the Red Sea, pack everybody up, you're going across the Jordan, and everywhere your feet walks, I'm going to give you this land. Now, there will be all kinds of reasons that Joshua could doubt whether God's promises were going to come true. There are two threats that I think would come to mind almost immediately when it came to Joshua. The first one is the memory of Moses and his exploits. I mean, you're coming in the wake of an Old Testament rock star named Moses and everything that he did, and you're thinking to yourself, I cannot, I can't measure up to him. I mean, he led his people across the Red Sea. I was counting fish, okay? You know, and he led us through this part of the Sinai Peninsula to the mountain of God. And Moses saw the glory of God. Moses talked with God. Moses got God's law. And, and the mountain shook and it was consumed with fire. And, and animals were supposed to be kept back from the mountain. Because if an animal wandered up on the mountain, it would be struck dead immediately. And, and I saw the people rebel with, with the golden calf. And he, all these things are reeling in his mind. And Moses is way, way up there and Joshua just feels like a peon. He's just like, I'm just nobody. 
And God reminds us, look, I'm going to make good on my promise about this land. Second threat that I think came up against them was that these people themselves, they posed a massive threat to success. They were known as stiff-necked, rebellious grumblers. I mean, these, these people, you get into the book of, you know what numbers should have been called? It should be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, grumblers, Deuteronomy. That's what it should have been. They're like, were there not enough graves in Egypt? You got to bring us all the way out here because there wasn't enough place to bury us back there. You just let us out here to die. We want to go back to Egypt. I'm leading a trip back to Egypt. Who's going back to Egypt with me? Remember the leeks and garlic? Oh, man. They had the best leeks and garlic. I just love leeks and garlic. Leeks sounds too close to leeches, and I'm just out, you know? (laughs) Just out. And garlics, I don't believe in vampires. No reason for it. So, I mean, I'm out on that trip, you know? Remember how good we had it in Egypt? You were slaves! making brick from straw. (laughs) Read it. That's what they were doing. Let's take straw and make bricks. Okay, straw and make brick. Okay, all right. (laughs) I mean, just, they were slaves. They didn't have it good. And they just rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled and rebelled. And Joshua gets those people. (laughs) Now, for all you pastors that are here, okay, You need to take some encouragement from God's encouragement to Joshua. I love how Pastor Rich Van Heuchelum, who I served with in Waterloo, how he used to say it. Ministry is always people, and they're the worst kind, (laughs) and you're one of them. (laughs) It's just such a good reminder to me. Ministry is always people. That's exactly right. And people are the worst kind. People are the worst kind. And those of you who are pastors, you know that sometimes you come to a church and the person who's all in your corner and they're applauding for you a few years later, they're the person that's absolutely against you. You're like, what happened? And some of you are like, you know, when I first came to my church, this person was my best friend and now they can't stand me. And God is reminding us of the power that is in his foundation of his promise. God will never leave us nor forsake us. Pastor Dave Codner and I were just talking about here this morning about this whole wake of a movement that's come on the announcement of Josh Harris and, and uh, this I Kiss Dating Goodbye writer who has abandoned the faith, left his wife after 19 years of marriage and now doesn't call himself a Christian and has linked himself in some ways to gay, lesbian, questioning, transgender, la-di-da-di-la-di-pop okay, um, uh, uh, group and... Um, and some people are really actually honestly, how in the world can something like this happen? And you know what? Our faith isn't built on a person. You know, it's not built on a person. It's, it's a built on the God of the universe and that foundation. It doesn't matter if the, they're rebellious or grumblers. God says, I'm taking you with them into this land. That's my promise. That's my promise. Well, how did Joshua meet that promise. He met it with two elements that you find in his life, and they're, they're exampled in coming chapters here, but God calls him to be a person of faith. You know what faith is? Faith is believing that God's going to make good on his promises. 
But faith is also coupled with obedience. And those who see this passage and only see it through the lens of God's sovereignty, they're like, well, why in the world does, does Joshua have to be strong and courageous? God promised the land. He should just get back to sit back in the easy chair and say, God's sovereignty take over. And God will just take them into the land, you know, on clouds of puffy clouds, and they'll just kind of float in, and God will give them the land. But listen to me. God always couples his sovereignty with our responsibility. Now, I'm not saying our responsibility trumps God's sovereignty. I'm not saying that. But it is amazing how God always couples his sovereignty with our responsibility. Sovereignty is the element where we trust God in his faith. Obedience is the element where we follow him and do what he asks us to do. What do you find here? He says to him, look, one more time here. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. You can't just sit back in easy chair and play the sovereignty of God card. I remember I had a roommate in college, and he had to have write a big old long paper, and he procrastinated on it, procrastinated on it, just like college students do. And I remember he sat down one night, and he sat down with his paper, his pencil, and he's ready to go on his paper, and he says, "All right, Holy Spirit, whenever you're ready." And he put his pencil down, and he went back to his bed and went to bed. My roommate and I were saying, man, we can't let him. He's, he's going to fail this class again, you know. And he, we meant again. This was second go-around. So we made an excuse to get him up real quick, and then we piled everything we could on his bed. Everything we could on his bed. We just piled all this stuff on his bed. And we were like, yeah, we got him. He can't go to bed. He'll have to write the paper. And he comes in, he looks in the room, he looks at his bed, he shuts the door, and all of a sudden we hear this, clunk, bang, crash, boom, and he's throwing everything off the bed and then going back to bed. What happened to the sovereignty of God? <laughs> I mean, didn't God sovereignly want to bring him through, you know? And no, there's a measure of responsibility. You find that from Joshua. You see faith, and you see obedience. In fact, that's really what God brings to us. He says, because it is our obedience through the strength that God supplies that employs God's means of fulfilling his promises. You say, Pastor David, then we should get to the end of the book of Joshua, and they have all the land that's theirs, right? If they obeyed completely. I don't think you can question Joshua's obedience. I don't think you can question Caleb's obedience. You know, that's the, I want that mountain. We're not going to preach that passage, but we could. But do the people follow through in their obedience? And so God couples those two together. It's a great reminder for us to remind us of that. Number two, God brings Joshua up to speed on this one foundation by telling him in verse number five and in verse number nine, that there is confidence in God's presence. There's confidence in God's presence. Look how he says it in the last part of verse number five. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Jump down to the end of verse number nine. And do, verse number nine. And do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. These two verses are helpful to us because they remind us of God's presence. That God is, we can have confidence to accomplish the task that God puts in front of us because we are never outside of God's presence. I mean, you think about how the fear aspect had to be settling in for Joshua, and God says, look, just as I was with Moses, I'm going to be with you. 
And how you have to hear Joshua just breathe a sigh of relief. Because God saw, Joshua saw God being with Moses. He knew that. He saw that. And then God's saying to him, it's not just what I did with Moses, but I'm going to be with you wherever you go. I'm going I'm to carry you wherever you go. I think God said this to Joshua and in some other passages too to try to help him and encourage him in that. We find it also in chapter 3, verse number 7, where the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that you may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So God says, look, I'm going to be with you like you're with Moses, but now I'm going to put you in front of Israel, and Israel is going to make the connect. Hey, God was with Moses. God is with Joshua. And God's trying to instill within them, hey, we want to follow God. And God's given us this leader to follow us. He says in chapter 6, and this is the end of the Jericho passage, they said the Lord uh, was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. Now we find out that after they had crossed the Jordan River, that their, their presence was already known in Jericho. But now everybody in the land knows about the children of Israel. And God is just making good on his promises. All right, I'd like a little bit of help from you here, just really quick here. Where else do you find promises in Scripture? You can quote it, look it up, share it, and you can just say it right out loud. We're just going to do this really quick here. Where else are the promises of God's presence? Where else are they found in Scripture? Portion of Scripture, part of Scripture? Just say it out loud. Russ, go ahead. Okay. Amen. Amen. Call unto me and I will answer. Where else? Very good. End of the Great Commission. We're going to look at that here in just a second. Thank you, Pastor Phil. What else? What else? What other passage? Hebrews 13, 5. Yep. I, that's the I will never leave you nor forsake you passage. Yep. Very good. Psalm 46, verse number 1. God is a very present help in time of trouble. How many times in time of trouble do we assume that God is absent? <laughs> do we just conclude God is absent? Folks, listen, I'm not trying to share this to parade any of our laundry as a church. And we got a good group of our Henry clan that's here. And they've been through this right along with the rest of our church family. But I'm telling you that prior to 2017, we, we knew a stretch of tragedy that I, I, I did not know that you could walk through. We had a young six-year-old boy helping grandpa on the farm, drove his four-wheeler into the back of a feeder, and, and was killed instantly. Shortly after that, we had a 15-year-old who had just had a fight with his mom, who left for school and was driving way too fast, ran right through a stop sign, went right underneath the trailer of a grain truck, had the back wheels of a grain truck right over the cab of the truck. He died shortly after that. It wasn't too much longer after that that we ended up having three guys that were connected to our church, two of them that were members of our church, who went out on some ice, went ice fishing, and had all the right equipment for ice fishing. And the farmer the day before had let a, a, a valve out to let some uh, water out for some of the livestock, and it just cut a, cut, a, cut a strip right underneath the ice. It was thick on this side, it was thin on the other side. They stepped over that line, all three of them went into the pond, and they, and they passed away, all three of them. 
It was in that stretch that I did five funerals in seven days. Five funerals in seven days. We had a lady in our church, an elderly lady in our church who passed away during that time. And we spent two and a half hours with her family signing her up for hospice. By 6 o'clock the next morning, she was in glory. Now listen, you don't know Lola Bacham, but some of you know who Lola Bacham is. Lola Bacham would be, I don't need that. I don't need that. <laughs> she, she, I can almost hear her at 6 o'clock in the morning. I don't need that. I'm going to heaven. You know, so she's gone just like that, right to glory. Had a whole, another funeral that was disconnected from our church, a 34-year-old lady who died of pulmonary hypertension. Basically, her heart had exploded in her chest. Her brother was from Arkansas and said, we're not burying her unless it's a Baptist pastor. So I get a phone call in the middle of all those other funerals saying, will you do one more funeral? And I went to that funeral and just spoke Christ. I had no idea who this lady was. I'm, I'm thankful that the brother was a Christian, and we just went with that and tried to share Christ. I was in the hospital one night, sitting there with a family. My wife sent me a text and said, I don't know if you, how, how are you doing? How are you making it through all this? I had a lady from our church who came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm not sure how, many, how much more of this we can take. I'm not sure how, how much more of this we can take. Shortly after that, we had a dear lady in our church who died of a brain tumor. Shortly after that, we had a man in our church named Gary Wimmer, great man, golden heart, absolute golden heart for people, who was out just doing some chores, getting the pond ready for his, uh, his grandkids, and the tractor rolled over on him and killed him. His wife was the one who had to go out and find him. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I measure up some of that, and I think through some of that, and I, I think, where, you, know, how mu- you know, the question, how much more of this can we take? I go back in my mind and I say, you know what? God has said he will never leave us nor forsake us. And while those were times of great, great tragedy, and I'm not minimizing the tragedy in any of that, and we felt all the humanity of that, I'm telling you one thing. One thing that carried us was the presence of God himself. And stepping into our auditorium and listening to our people sing it is well with my soul. And just... Lifting their voices and praise to God because we have no other answers other than, you know what, God is, God is with us. It's all those promises of God's presence. God echoes it in the Great Commission. He says, go make disciples of all nations. And he says at the end, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Almost quoting Joshua chapter 1, verse number 9. Somebody else also brought up the Hebrews passage where God says, you don't have to fear what man can do to you. Never have to be afraid of that, because God's presence. It's one of God's incommunicable attributes. And I think it's one that has probably the greatest implementation into our lives, because when tragedy comes, when difficulty comes, when circumstances begin to raise the level of fear, the first thing that we question is whether or not God is present. I mean, you think about even the death of Lazarus. What was Martha's first take? (laughs) If you had only been here. (laughs) If you had only been here. Questioning God's presence. Folks, sometimes I think what we have to do in times of tragedy, in times of difficult circumstance, whether it's there's not enough in the checkbook or whether there's, there's, there's a, a family struggle or an interpersonal issue or whether we're rec- wrangling through marital struggle or whether we have a teenager that's going off the rail or whether we have 
parents who are going off the rail and the teenagers living for God, I think sometimes we need to come back and we say, God, you have promised that you are with me and I need you to affirm that in my life right now through your truth. And never forget, God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. There's a third point, and I think it drives these things home here from verses 7 through verse number 9 as a collective, and it's the centrality of God's principles. The centrality of God's principles. Look at verse number 7. Only be strong and courageous. Going to get the repeat of that phrase over and over and over again. To observe everything that you do according to all this law, which my servant Moses commanded you, do not turn from it from the right hand nor to the left, that you may be prosperous wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and you shall observe to do according to all that is written in it. Then he will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. It's the centrality of God's principles. Some of the greatest joys I had as a parent or was watching my wife use scripture to help our little ones along. I know they're big ones now, but um, as they were growing up, watching my wife use scripture to help our kids along and teaching our kids scripture and going through those principles in scripture and asking our kids often, what is God doing in your life? How did God make this clear? What is God putting this, how did God bring this onto the radar? Reminding them how big God is because his principles are collective. And they also, you'll see how God gives them and they are progressive. Did you catch that? First of all, he says, look, it's the law of God. It's only the law of God or obeying the law of God. But then he adds the caveat on obey all the law of God. I don't know about you, but I am I'm one who says, yep, obey the word of God. Got it. <laughs> obey the word of God. And then I go to it and I'm really selective. <laughs> I tend to be really selective. Well, I like that one. I don't like that one. Kind of like the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Every miracle clipped out of it. You know, it's just like shredded, you know, as he cut out every single miracle. Now, God says to Joshua, no, no, no. There's, no, there's no being selective here. It's being committed to all the law of God. And then there's no deviation, no, no wandering to the right or to the left. There's, there's no elongating the law or shrinking the law. And you know this because you've heard this before, but the law was called the Torah law. It was that, that centrality of law that God gave embodied in his 618 commands to Israel, wrapped up and summarized down to the Ten Commandments, and then completed in two great commandments that God gave that were quoted from the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so that law of God... And as Israel grew around that law, they became so law-centered and so God-dis-centered that they decided to put bumper laws around those laws. And that was a set of laws called the Gemara. And these were all the man-made laws to keep you from breaking the Torah law. And then you know what happened in Israel, don't you? What got elevated? Those those, those Gemara laws. And then when the Gemara laws weren't enough, they put another set of bumper laws around them called the Mishnah. And those became the laws of God. And those were the goofy ones. Like, like you couldn't travel away from home on a Sabbath day. So carry a pouch of dirt, 
and walk the distance and then take the dirt, put it on the ground, stand on it and say, I am home again. And then travel your distance again and then put the dirt down, stand on it and say, I'm home again. It's goofy stuff like that. And while we point a bony finger back at Israel because they had this Gamara and Mishnah and you know, they're all trying to keep the Torah and they had it all, all wigged out, how many, how many times, how many times in our churches or in our families have we elevated the man-made laws and we've lost the sight of who God is captured in his revelation? I'm not saying that you don't have instructions, you don't have, you know, well, where's the 1030 curfew in the Bible? You know, it's captured up in a honor your father and mother, <laughs> you know. I'm not saying you don't have guidelines, you don't have, you don't have rules for the home. What I am saying is we have to be very, very careful to not instigate godliness through the keeping of the law. Or true holiness is in, found in the keeping of the law. Truth holiness is found in, as you saw it there, it's not found in the keeping of the law, but God calls us to the meditating of the law. Now, we hear about meditation, and let me just cut to the chase here really quick for time's sake. Biblical meditation isn't emptying yourself and letting stuff be put in. It's filling yourself with God, what God wants to put in, okay? So Psalm 119, great passage on the, the word of God and the works of God. And when it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, it's, it's not telling you don't talk about the Bible. Okay, that's not what the command is. The command is, it's, it's keep it so internal that you can counsel yourself with God's truth. Think about it over and over again and capture it in your own heart and counsel your own heart with it. Then, you'll notice that after that, that's when God comes to the front and says, now, be strong and courageous. It's after the whole effect of God's word, the centrality of God's principles, that God calls him to this element of being strong and courageous. Strength giving the opportunity for courage. Courage coming from the strength that is not our own strength, but strength that is found in God's revelation to us. So as you heard these things and you've thought about these things, I just want you to take a moment, if you can, right at the bottom of your notes, just in light of the, what God's word has taught me, I am going to, and just, just pencil in something there, maybe it's just a rough concept right now, but, you, but you're going to come back to it later, that's just fine. And then I, always, I always encourage people to think about going beyond just the, I'm going to, those are the do-gooder decisions. How many do-gooder decisions have you made? I'm going to do gooder at my devotions. I'm going to do gooder at witnessing. I'm going to do gooder at parenting. I'm going to do gooder at loving my wife. I'm going to do gooder. I'm going to do gooder. You know, so put the, answer the by. Answer the by. In light of what God's word has taught me, I am going to by doing what? And as I love to do at our church, I just take these truths, and let me just really quickly push them through a grid here real quickly. What, what does all this mean in light of the gospel? What does all this mean in light of the gospel? Well, let me tell you this. Without the gospel, none of this means anything. And so it is only with the gospel that these things become tangible in our lives. The gospel is that Christ Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. And our faith responds to that. And if that has not taken place in your life, and I don't say this condescendingly, I'm just telling you, if the gospel has not taken root in your life, 
then you will never understand this whole full command of what it means to be strong and courageous. And the gospel is what enables us to follow God wholly. The gospel is actually what transforms us to be becoming like him and being more like him. Without the gospel, none of this means anything. So if you do not, if you've not, your heart has not been captured by the gospel, if you've not repented of your sins and come to Christ in faith, that needs to be first priority. That needs to be first priority. What does this mean in, in light of your family? Well, this might mean reminding your, your family of God's presence. Maybe taking time to remind your family of God's principles. Maybe just stepping back and saying, you know what, it's, just, it's, it's about God's promises. God has promised for us these things. And I think that the, that can be helpful for us to do and, and just sit down times. But I think it kind of goes to Deuteronomy chapter 6 too. When you're sitting down, when you're waking, when you're walking, when you're out talking, when you're out doing this, that, and the other. In those times, that's when those things can become a reality. What about for your own life? Maybe, maybe you really are one that just reads the word of God, but you really aren't trying to meditate on God's word. Maybe you, you can't even remember the last time you memorized a verse where the Bible says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Maybe you just need to memorize John, Joshua 1 verses 9 and put that to memory. And then I love what Pastor John Jinks, and I stole this from him. This isn't original with me, and I think it actually is original with his wife more than with him. But he's one that's reminded me of this often. Five minutes in eternity, when is any of this going to matter? You know, I make the mountains out of the molehills really fast in my life. And it's good for me at times to ask myself, when it comes to eternity, is this really going to matter? Five minutes into heaven, am I going to care about this as much as I'm caring about this right here and right now? And then maybe five minutes into heaven, am I as committed to these things as, as I want to be committed, as I desire to be committed, as I should have been committed to these things? You see, when I measure things in light of eternity, it makes what's happening right here and right now so tangible and so relevant and so real. I pray with these things God can do a work in our lives and change us in light of them. Let's just have a word of, uh, bow our heads in a word of prayer here, and then I'm going to give the instruments just a moment to play uh, as you can talk to God and, and consider those things, and then we'll give you some instructions here for lunch. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for these truths. Thank you for the opportunity to, to find such hope in, in your promises, Lord, and in your presence and in the word of God, the given revelation of God. It enables us to be strong and courageous. And for the struggles that we've brought to it with us here to camp, the struggles that are even showing themselves while we're here at camp, I pray that you would help us to do business with you in these times of response. And Lord, I pray that you would even minister to us right now while we continue in prayer, each one with you, and we think about these truths now.